I was uh, studying, preparing yesterday. This is not in the notes, which is often the case, but I want to start. I'm going to talk about faithfulness. Are you faithful? Uh, Matthew 25, 14, here's Jesus speaking, talking about values in the kingdom of God. He says this, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver. Now, a bag of silver, if you do the research, in fact, the margin of this Bible says a bag of silver was 70, the other translations call it a talent, it was 75 pounds of silver. Right now, the going rate for silver today is 16.75, I think, um, uh, dollars per ounce. So 16.75 times 16 times what he's got, got 75. That's a, that's a good chunk of change, would you say? So he said uh, he gave five bags of silver to one guy, two bags of silver to another. Uh, so that's 150 pounds of silver. One bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant, uh, the servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more, but the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground, hid his master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip, called them to give an account of how they had used the money. Uh, the servant to whom he had trusted five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest. And I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward, said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I earned two more. Uh, The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So I will, I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops, harvested crops I didn't plant, gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten interest on it. Then he ought to take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they're given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. That's sobering. And Jesus is talking about what the kingdom of God is like and, and what he's saying is, is, is absolutely true. How many know that the map and path and plan for your life is already written down in heaven before you're even born? When you're a zygote in your mother's womb, God's already mapped out the plan for your life. That's what Psalm 135 9 is very clear on before we were born, God already had a plan, a purpose, a design. And let me go further and say, God deposits into every human skills, giftings, abilities that are not to be used self-servingly just for themselves, just to get money, just to earn a living. No, they're to be used 
for the glory of God. Because life starts with God. The spirit comes from God in heaven and is deposited into the womb at conception. And when we die, the spirit goes back to God if you're born again, yes? And then we answer for what he's given us. And the apostle Paul said it this way, and I love the New International Version of 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, he's just basically a jar of clay. It's a clay pot. Sort of looking about somebody and say, you're a clay pot. Well, isn't that nice? Hey, we have this treasure in clay pots, jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So God plants something from him, a skill, an ability, something that may come natural or like me, God, I mean, it didn't come natural for me to be a public speaker or for me to teach. There was nothing about that that was natural to me. That was a gift God gave me when I was born again. And then I had to steward that gift. That is, I had to, I had to work on it, help it to grow and develop on the inside. Here I am today. God gives gifts. And how many know when we stand before Jesus at the judgment seat or reward seat of Christ, 1 Corinthians 3 says we will. Talked about it some weeks ago. How many know we're gonna answer for what we did and how we stewarded the gift God placed inside of us? Is that true? So you know, you may go up to God, to Jesus on that day. Jesus, weren't you proud of me? I, I love my wife, my husband, I raised my children. I was faithful on my job, I did this. Did, aren't you proud? Aren't you? Aren't you proud of me? I did some things. Aren't you packing yourself on the back? Aren't you proud of me? And see what Jesus is going to say. See, 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 when he thinks, he thinks, now what did I call you to do? What did I place in you? What, what, what bag of silver did I place in you? What gifting for me did I put in you? That's where he judges us. That's where he rewards us from. So if I did all these things, but he asked me to do something else because he gave me a gifting, a different bag of silver than I ever used, you know, I can do everything everything I do in my life and come up to Jesus and he'll say, well, you didn't do anything with any, one thing with anything I gave you. Yes or no? So, wow, that's challenging, right? So that's why we need to figure out what God's called us to do and then get after it. I've had some people over the years, I've really had this happen. Forward, I've been in ministry um, 39 uh, years this year. And I have literally had a number of people come up to me and just in conversation, casual conversation, whatever, here's what they're basically saying. We get off on this subject on what God's called you to do. And I've literally had people say, well, you know, um, I don't do a lot of praying. And here's the way a lot of people live. They don't do it. Now, they'll pray, uh, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Or before they go to sleep, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Or they're on a trip and they'll say, God, you know, I need, I need you to protect me on this trip because I'm going through some nasty traffic here. I need your help, Okay. Yeah, they do that, but as far as some real serious, okay, God, let's, let's talk about me and you. Let's talk about life. Let's talk about what I'm supposed to be doing. A lot of people have the wrong, listen, this is a wrong idea. If you have this idea, this may cost you deeply. A lot of people come to Jesus, they're saved, but they're saved like the New Testament says, so as by fire. It's just fire insurance. They don't have any plans to do anything 
other than what they want to do. And that's the challenge in American culture today. American culture is all about me, all about I, all about mine, all about stuff, my stuff. It's all about doing what what pleases me, makes me comfortable, things I enjoy. It's all about making me feel good. Life is not about me feeling good. Life is about me obeying God. So if you follow the stream of American culture today, you're in the wrong stream. You need to change rivers, right? I mean, serious. This is pretty serious stuff. So, so, so a lot of people say, well, I don't pray. I'm not going to pray a whole lot, get really in depth, because here's what they think. If I don't do it, if I never really pray deeply, if I never take some time and really seek God and then really, really get in the word for my own, then you know what? I'm not responsible for what I don't know. And if I never find out what I'm supposed to be doing, and then if I, if I never pray enough to hear inside or have these yearnings rise up about things I'm supposed to be doing from God, then I'm not responsible. See, if I don't know, ignorance is bliss. No, ignorance is a problem when you end your life. Yes or no? And you know what? The truth is a lot of people live that way. I'm telling you, that ideology is strong in America. Well, as long as I don't do a lot. See, God won't judge me for what I don't know. Not true. Not true. You stand before Jesus, you're saved, but so as by fire. It's fire insurance, but dude, you just barely made it in. And he's looking at you like, what'd you do with, my, what, what'd you do with the silver bags I gave you? What did you do? Some, some people got 25 silver bags, so to speak. Others got 15, 10. How many did you get? I don't know. What did you do with them? See, we're rewarded for what we do in obedience to what he's given us. Yes or no? And then I was reading 2 Timothy. Y'all okay? 2 Timothy. I was reading through 2 Timothy. This kind of hit me. And in a wealthy home, this is New Living Translation, utensils are made of gold and silver. Some are made of wood and clay. So he's got four different kinds of materials that utensils are made of that obviously you eat with gold, silver, wood, and clay. Uh, uh, is, clay, is, clay uh, is, is gold valuable? Is gold more valuable in, than silver? Is silver valuable? Is silver more valuable than wood? Is wood plentiful? But does wood have value? Does it have as much value as gold? How about silver? Okay, uh, clay, dirt. Dirt is plentiful, but dirt is no longer cheap. <laughs> if you've noticed, if you ever had to buy any for something you feel when we do you know, work around here, dirt is not cheap. Yeah, one time at one church, I had to buy 77 dump, load, uh, dump trucks full. It cost. Yeah. But is, 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 um, is silver more valuable than dirt? Clay. Is gold more valuable than clay? So, so what he's saying here, you got gold, silver, wood, clay. What kind of pot are you? What kind of utensil are you going to be? And look what he says. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions. The cheap ones are used for use every day. If you'll keep yourself pure, you'll be a special utensil for an honorable use. Your life will be clean and you'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. How, how many want to be a, like a goblet of gold? Wouldn't that be cool? Well, you know, God ascribes value to who we are and what we do. And he's saying, if you obey me with the gift and talents, 
the silver bag, so to speak, that I place in your life, you know, you'll become a, a gold goblet and not just a clay pot. Number two, God looks for faithfulness first. Everybody say faithfulness. So when God looks for people that he can, that he can trust, the number one characteristic he looks for is character. Character displayed by faithfulness. Everybody say faithfulness. Uh, a lot of people don't uh, enter into what God has for them because they haven't yet proved themselves faithful. So uh, let's uh, let Webster's Dictionary define faithful. Faithful is true or constant. Everybody say true. Constant. Now what does constant mean? That means it's the same. You know, you got the second hand on the clock on your wall. Click, click. It's the same, right? All the time. Um, True or constant in affection or allegiance. Loyal. Loyal means, how can you clearly and simply define loyal? A loyal person is the same when they feel bad and when they don't feel bad. A loyal person, if they've made a commitment, they follow through on the commitment thick or thin. Whether it's raining or it's sunshine, they're out doing what they're supposed to do. Is that true? They get up one day and not, they say, I don't think I'm going to go to work today. They go to work because they made a commitment. That's a loyal person. How many want loyal people if you had a job? How many know it's important to have loyal people working for you? Yes or no? Well, how much more the kingdom of God? So he says, firm in adherence to promises, oaths, or undertakings. Firm in adherence to them. Firm and thorough in observance of duty. Now that's a faithful person. Again, a faithful person, day in, day out, week in, week out, if they make a commitment to do something, they follow through. And one characteristic of a faithful person is they do make the commitments. An unfaithful person won't commit to do anything. They expect other people to do things for them, and then they expect life to go well. How many know that doesn't normally work well? Is that true? It's quiet in this Baptist church. I love Baptist people, right? How many hear me? No, faithful people... You know what? It, regardless of how you feel, you follow through and it doesn't matter. That's faithfulness. Proverbs 28, 20, listen to this. A faithful man will abound with blessings. The first part of the, script, uh, of the verse there. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, listen to this. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Then verse 2, 1 Corinthians 4, moreover it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. When God's looking for somebody to steward his word to others, he's looking, number one, for a faithful person. Wow. And then listen to Amplified New Testament of 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Moreover, it's essentially required in stewards that a man should be found faithful. And he says faithful so well in the In the brackets, they're proving himself worthy of trust. A faithful person proves that they can be counted on. See, when I read that, I think now, so have I proved, can God count on me? If somebody asks me to do something, can they count on me? Or is it slipshod? Maybe here, maybe I'll be there, maybe I'll follow through, but they got to make two or three phone calls just to make sure I did. How many get it? 
Yeah. Faithful person follows through. They prove themselves worthy of trust. Back in the early 1980s, I was uh, in my early 20s, that dates me, but um, I was reading one morning and this verse became my verse. First uh, uh, Timothy 1.12. Let me read it because there's more there than meets the eye. It says, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me. Now that's a, a rich phrase. Because he counted me faithful, hmm. putting me into the ministry. So notice some things he says here. He's thanking Jesus for enabling him. In enabling him, he's saying, Jesus gave me something. Jesus gave me, as it were, a silver bag. Jesus gave me, a, gave me something. He gave me an ability to do something, it says, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful. Now, let me tell you something about the Lord. Anytime he's ever worked in my life, he normally, often, I've been with him 42 years this year. He's often, when he asks me to do something, it's something sometimes I can't do. Many times I don't want to do. And the longer I walk with him, the more he knows he can trust me if I'm faithful. So he looks for faithful people, and he'll go to them and say, in so many words, you know, a lot of people I can't trust with this, but you know, I know you can do this. You take care of this for me. Will you do? And you may not want to. You say, yes, sir. That's what he did to Paul. Look at that. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me, that he gave me a, an ability Why? Because he counted me faithful and then the faithfulness catapulted me into what he had, putting me into the ministry. Not everybody in this room is called to ministry, but you know what? You're called to help somebody else. You're called to minister to others. You're called to be faithful in a local church. You're called for your life to make it, to count for others. How many know it's true? You're called to let your life count in the business place, in the marketplace, you're, you're count, I mean, you're called to, to, to let your skills count and to glorify God in how you do what you do, yes or no? But I was reading this, and, and uh, about years ago, we didn't have the Internet and all this nice stuff we have now. But, so I got lots of hard copy Bibles when I was young, in my 20s. And they're still on my shelf, and I still pull them out some. But listen to some of the translations, and they really grabbed me when he says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me. Rotherham translation says, grateful am I to him who that empowered me. Do you know if you'll be faithful, God will give you his power, ability? Henry Alford's translation, I give thanks to him who puts strength in me. What would it mean for your life to have strength beyond your own like like superman he had not just his strength he had strength that was acquired from something else right so so you're not superman but you know what you're god's man god's woman and when you're faithful ability beyond you comes on you ability to do what you can't normally do yourself comes on you how many know that's cool Then the last translation, New English Bible, I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, I love this, who has made me equal to the task. Now, at the time the Lord gave me that, I um, 
I was in a local church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was a young man, and, and I'd just gotten a ministry position I never had before I was a janitor. I'll tell you about it in a minute prior to that. And, and I felt completely overwhelmed. I felt like every day the pastor's going to point his bony, bony finger in my face, he's going to fail and say, you're fired, because I felt like I was going to do it. And I said, when I found that, I said, whoa, 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 whoa. You've made me equal to the task. You mean if I do a certain thing, you're going to make me equal to what you want me to do and what my job responsibilities are? You mean you're really going to do this? Yeah. I said, I'll do it. And I learned that if you're faithful, you qualify for God's power. And that if you have God's power in what you're doing, it may be difficult, it may be arduous, it may be hard, but you can do it. And you can do it good. How many know that's okay? Then 2 Timothy 2, 2, and the things you've heard from me among many witnesses, Paul said to Timothy, uh, uh, commit these to faithful men, that's generic for men and women, uh, who will be able to teach others also. Number three on the outline, faithfulness is the major character test. Everybody say character test that God gives. How many know you can go to school, you can be taught skills, but nobody but nobody can put character in you. Your mama and daddy can teach you the difference between right and wrong. They can teach you to live a certain way, but how many know you got to put the pedal to the metal and make it happen yourself? And that if you don't apply yourself, you'll never have it. Is that, yes, is that true? See, God's the same way. He gives us ability. He gives us skill. He gives us things. But we have to develop character on our own. Again, you can go to school. You can get, uh, you can get uh, initials after your name because of the degrees that you've acquired. But those degrees don't mean that you're going to be successful. Is that true? No, success is determined by character. We're no more successful than our character allows How many know God's anointing, God's power can take you further than your character can keep you? You've heard that before, right? Absolutely true. Character's number one. Character sustains the call and anointing on your life and either attracts or repels us to or from God's plan for us. Yes or no? give you two illustrations in the New Testament. So anybody God calls, and in fact, all of us are called to do something. If I'm sitting and I'm doing nothing, if all I'm doing is coming to church, I don't do anything else, I know I'm not in the will of God because God calls us to actively serve him and serve others in some way. Is that true? It's absolutely true. Uh, So, uh, in the New Testament, here are two examples of people that proved faithful and something happened in them. The first one, in fact, in Acts chapter 6, I got them from Acts 6. Acts 6, there was a big revival in Jerusalem. The church grew astronomically very rapidly, so much so that that the people were coming and uh, to the meetings and coming to getting together and they were and people were coming to Jesus so quickly as they got together some of them had no food and so they had to, the disciple the apostles had to get together and and buy food and then have people sit down and distribute food to them while they're ministering to them and it got so busy that the apostles in Jerusalem said I can't keep doing this I got to stop if I keep doing this I'm going to lose the anointing I don't have time to study I don't have time to pray how many know if you keep the anointing on in your life, you got to study and pray. I spend a lot of time praying and studying because you know it just takes that. Well, they couldn't; they had too much, 
too much to do to, to spend time. And they said, like, we, this is the wrong equation. We need to find seven people who can do the business of ministry to us, people that can help feed the people so we can get away and spend time in the Word, spend time praying so, so the anointing can keep flowing and people can get, keep getting saved. And, and everybody said, man, that's, that's God's wisdom. So they chose seven men full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. And two of those men, the first one was a man named Stephen. Now, Stephen was originally a helper, a servant in the local church in Jerusalem, and he was just helping feed people. He was helping them sit down. He was helping to organize things. He was giving them bottles of water, so to speak, and he was giving them food. And You know, he was just making sure everybody's natural needs were taken care of. He did it so well that it caught God's eye, and uh, the anointing to preach and minister came on Stephen so much so that when he opened his mouth and he began to share, Maybe he was just sharing, you know, just kind of at a picnic table and just started talking and, and all of a sudden the power of God came on him. Before you know it, there's a crowd around him. Before you know it, even the religious leaders came to listen to Stephen and it was so strong and the anointing was so powerful that it popped them. It popped their religious heads and they said, whoa, and they stoned Stephen. And Stephen was so faithful and God was so pleased with his faithful heart that he was willing to do the menial tasks and the anointing came on him that when Stephen was stoned, Jesus wasn't seated at the right hand of God. He stood up and he received Stephen into heaven standing. Because Stephen, Acts 7 says, Stephen, when he was martyred, first martyr of the Christian church, he looked up and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And that's how he left this life. That's pretty cool for being faithful, would you say? Wow. Second person that, the, that Acts 6 talks about being faithful that I'll mention uh, is Philip. Philip is the only person in the New Testament that is mentioned as being an evangelist. Acts chapter 8 mentions Philip the evangelist. First time you see Philip's name is right here in this list in Acts chapter 6. I think it's verse, verse 6. Philip was waiting on tables. Wait, Philip was distributing food. Philip was doing menial things, seemingly not ministry things natural things but he proved himself faithful to the point that the anointing of an evangelist came on him and he had a heart raging urge to share Jesus with everybody he came in contact with and the power of God came on Philip's life so much that he had a beam me up Scotty experience he was in one place talking to a guy and just like that his body disappeared and was found 20 miles 20 miles away at another place because the power of God so lived in Philip's life. I'm telling you, when you're faithful, stuff happens. When you're faithful, God can trust you with more. If you're not faithful, God can't trust you with more. How many know it's true? Number four, big things have little beginnings. Everybody say little beginnings. Zechariah 4.10, you ought to get this one. And put it somewhere and look at it regularly. For who has despised the day of small things? Everything big had a small beginning. At one point, you, you, were, simply, you were simply a cell in your mother's womb that was fertilized. And then you became two, four, eight, 16, you know, 32, 64, 128 on up. And here you are, you're big. 
You started small. Everything in life is that way. Matthew 25, 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter the joy of your Lord. So listen, if you're faithful in what you do in the little, you do in the big. Yes or no? I mean, I've been here almost 24 years. When we're looking for people to help us, you know what? The first criterion we're looking for are people who are faithful because you're faithful in this. Faithful how? You know what? If you come to Victory Church and you're helping in the parking lot, you're a greeter, you're an usher, you're a teacher in the, in the Sunday school class for children, you're changing diapers in the nursery, you're, you're helping us with our outreaches, you're serving people coffee, you're helping, with them, you're helping with the sound, with the visuals behind me here. If you're just doing stuff, you're playing an instrument, you're saying, if you're faithful to that, you're a candidate for promotion. And here's the issue. God sees it this way. What you do in the little, you'll do when it's big. What you don't do in the little, you'll never do when it's big. It's the way it works. And here's the issue. Faithfulness always produces promotion. Everybody say promotion. Yeah. Luke 16, 10, listen to this. Verse 10, verse 12. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. And if you've been faithful in what is another man's, if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Now, this is the way God does things. In the world, people look for qualifications. But in the kingdom of God, God looks for faithfulness. How many hear what I'm saying? So I had a guy, this is uh, years ago, I was back in the 80s. I was probably 27, 28 years old, a Sunday night service. The power of God was moving there. It was just great service. At the end of the service, a guy comes up to me, and I was on the staff team, you know. We had a big church there and all that. And he comes up and says, well, God's called me to be a, God's called me to be a prophet. I thought, Okay. And he said, I thought you might have something to say to me about that. I backed up a little bit and I said, well, I do. I said, you call, God's called you to be a prophet, huh? Oh, yeah, prophet to the nation. Prophet to the nations. I said, you know what I think? I think after service, you ought to go get a broom and help me clean the bathrooms. Y'all ain't even laughing about that. Because what you do in the little, you'll do in the big. And when God's called you to do something, even if you think it's grand, he'll start small. Because you have to develop your character. How many hear what I just said? I started ministry. I'm going to talk about me a minute because I know me better than you. So when I started ministry, I was in my early 20s. And the church I was attending in Tulsa at the time, uh, I mean, they had a building that sat 1,200 and they had 5,000 people. And then they had a Christian school. So, so every week, twice a week, 1,200 chairs had to come up for the Christian school, for Monday through Friday, you know, school. So, so Sunday, before Sunday, Friday night, school's over. Somebody's got to go and put chairs down. Friday night, Saturday, all those, tw- and, and so God spoke to me, I want you to go help them. Well, I didn't want to do that. That makes your back hurt. 
It's not convenient. Nobody's watching. Nobody sees what you're doing. But I knew I had to do that, so I started ministry setting chairs down. 1,200 twice a week, uh, Wednesdays, we had Wednesday night service. So, so Wednesday afternoon, they had to have a gang of people putting 1,200 chairs down. Boom. Guess who part of that was? Moi. And you know, that taught me something. That taught me something about God. It taught me that ministry is not just playing and having fun and playing golf and drinking coffee all week long. It's W-O-R-K work. First thing it taught me. And then, and then you know, uh, and then from that, actually, I got a job. And uh, I got a job as a janitor in that church. And let me tell you something about how God works. God works in strange uh, ways to our minds. So I had been to two Bible schools. I was ready to go into ministry. My father, until the day he died, never understood what in the world, why in the world this happened. I went from two Bible schools. I had a good job. I was a manager in a grocery store at night and really made good money for the time. And I was in charge of a crew of guys. And uh, and but then they they my church because I sat in chairs down, proving my I did it week in week out. You know, month in month. Out. And then they come up to me one day and said, you know, we have a janitorial position or a, a nice way to say that's a maintenance man job here. wonder if you'd like to take that. And I thought, ain't no way. Ain't no way. And God said, take the job. I'm thinking, yeah, you got the wrong dude. Because I knew what that job entailed. Light blue shirt, dark blue pants, my name right here, Mitch Horton. That's not prestigious. That's not, that's not where you want to be if you're going to be a big man of God. God said, do it. So you know what I put my agenda, and you know what I found out about me? I found about me in that small place of being a janitor that I had some pride issues to deal with. Can I tell you something? I'm glad I figured it out then and not now because it would cost a lot more now than it did then. You get that? You know, another thing I found out, God's people are just nasty. Yeah. Yeah, they leave their coffee cups all over the place. Oh, use Kleenexes, you know, down on the floor. Yeah. And I'm Mr. Clean, that's Susan. I love clean. And, and in the bathroom, I found out the guys miss. I don't have to say anything else. If you got boys, you know what I mean. And you're a mama or a daddy, you get it, right? Yeah, I thought, these people, are, you got skanky, nasty people, God. And you know what God, listen, you know what God had to do? He had to challenge, he challenged him. He said, you know what? I love these skanky, nasty people. And you know what? You're going to stay right here till you love these skanky, nasty people. Not kidding. God broke me. I'm going to tell you what he did. He broke a root of pride in me a mile deep. And you know what? He got me to the place. Just as a janitor, I did that for several years. I really honestly got to the point that in my heart I said, God, you know what? This isn't prestige like the world thinks. (laughs) You know, it does have a lot of acclaim. But you know what? If you want me to do this the rest of my life, I'll do it. Because I'd rather be a doorkeeper at the house of my God than to dwell in tents of wickedness. And I know what I would have been if Jesus hadn't entered my life. So I'll I'll be a happy, I'll be the most happy janitor in the world. I'll do it the rest of my life if you want me to. You know what? I never got promoted until that attitude came in me. You know what that did? It helped me love people in their mess. And you know what ministry's about? Loving people even when they're unlovable. Yes or no? 
Fast forward a little bit. See, God places you in places that you don't think you belong, but you don't know how much you need to be there. I got a ministry position in that same church. Y'all hear? I got a ministry position in that same church. Lots of people, lots of things going on. And you know what I found out? I found out a whole lot about me. You know what I found out? I found out I disagreed with the pastor. I wondered why he made this decision, that decision, why he did this, why he hired that person, why he let that go on, why that didn't happen, why, they, why, were, why were they doing that in their services, why did they do that? And I found out I disagreed in all kinds of ways. And you know what I found out? God didn't care whether I disagreed or not, but it better not come out of my mouth. And you know what I found out? God will often put you in places that it feels like round peg, square hole. He does that on purpose to develop our character. We think everything's got to be plus, nice, just the way we want it to be. Often God will put you in a place that's sandpaper to your personality. And he'll have you work for a person. Why? If you can't, if you can't honor a person in a position of responsibility and do what they say with a smile, God can't trust you with your own. So I mean, I went through those years. I kept a, you know, I kept notes. I, I had a um I had a journal I kept regularly, and I still have the notes, and sometimes I both go back and look at those pages and say, Oh my Lord. And I keep thinking, I'm glad that didn't come out of my mouth. When I left that church, you know one thing the pastor said to every 1,000 people there on a Sunday? You know what he said? He said, well, you know, and Lord, I, Susan, you remember him saying this. I finished preaching. He let me preach a sermon before I moved from that church back to the Carolinas. And you know what he said? Well, Mitch Horton, one thing about him, never had a problem with Mitch. Mitch was just an exemplary employee, never had to call him down, never had to get on him, never had a bad attitude. I'm thinking, oh, Jesus. If he had just been in my prayer life, if he just know what I thought, what I thought about him, what I thought about his decisions, what I thought about his choices. But you know what? I was smart enough to keep my mouth shut. Because you, if you gossip when you're little, you'll gossip when you're big. If you rebel when you're little, you'll rebel when you're big. If you can't be trusted with what is another man's, you'll never get your own. Fast forward. I'm almost done. Before I came here, I became associate pastor of a church in my hometown in 1992. And I promise you, this guy I became associate pastor with, I mean, round peg, square hole? No, no, it's one of those star holes. Huh, I can't, nothing's right. Say, God, what am I doing with this man? I don't like him. I don't like his personality. I don't like the way he dresses. I don't like his car. I don't like anything. I don't like his church. And God said, go. And I'm thinking, get this. Let me, I'll tell on myself, okay? So uh, I had a traveling ministry. I had a business. I was busy. Make a long story short, I put my family in that church because it was close by. And I knew God wanted me to do it. I was sitting in the back row one day. Ushers are coming down. I'm criticizing every single thing. Ushers, I'm a stupid usher. Don't know what he's doing. Ah, somebody needs to train that guy. Greeters, like, why, is there, why are those greeters acting that way, doing that? Praise and worship leader, I tore him apart. So, you know, even his strings on his guitar are dead, I think. I mean, I was just picking everything apart with my mind. So bad, but smiling on the outside. 
And then the pastor gets up to preach and, and on the inside of me, I'd do a better job than that. Man, he needs to study more. He needs more depth, you know. And while I was doing all that, you know what the Lord said to me? Mitch, who are you that you criticize another man's servant? He's not your servant, he's mine. And what he does, he answers to me, not you. You need to be quiet. And y'all, I had a big repentance session that day. See, I'd been through all that stuff as a younger man. And then before I came here and I was in that church, I mean, God really, seriously, he really challenged me. And then guess what happened? The pastor takes me out to lunch one day and says, and says, well, you've been here six months. Let me tell you what's happening for the whole year of 1993. He said, January, I'm leaving and taking my whole family on a missions endeavor to Europe, to Latvia, one of the Baltic states. And we're going to start a church and you're going to pastor my church. And I saw why God was dealing with me so strongly. Did I get disagree with him? A lot. But you know what? I had to pray through and give him to the Lord and say, God, you called me here. He's not, he doesn't live to me. He lives to you. I don't obey. He doesn't obey me. He obeys you. He doesn't get his instruction from me. He gets them from you. And you know what, God? If that's what he wants to do, that's all I got to say. And when he said, I want you to pastor my church, oh, man, oh, man, y'all, let me tell you what happened. Uh, that whole year, that whole people would come to me that year. That's a big story I don't have time to tell. But listen, people came to me. The first Sunday I preached after he left, somebody came to me and said, you know what? You preach better than him. The first thing I said, my mama always told me, don't say this, but I said, shut up. And I said, don't ever say that again because I'm not going to preach better than him. He's your pastor. I'm the associate pastor, and I'm pastoring his church for him for one year. People kept coming to me along and along. Well, you know, boy, you really preach good. You preach, you teach better. You're really a good teacher. You know what I had to do? I went to the cassette. We had cassette tapes at the time. You know what I said? Uh, No more recording my voice. I will have nothing recorded the entire year because nobody will say I'm better than the pastor because I'm not better than the pastor. I'm not the pastor. He's the pastor. I'm God's set man for now. And this is what I've got to do. And you know, when that year came to an end, 1994, it rolled around. He came back. God gave me the verse, Luke 16, 12. If you can't be faithful over what is another man's, how can you be trusted with that which is your own? And then October of 94, I came here. So you may be at Victory Church. You know what I know? You may not even like me. And you know what? I'm all right. Because I know if you're here and you don't like me, God wants to do something in you while you don't like me. You may not like the way I lead. You may not like the way I pastor. You may not like our staff. You may not like how we do what we do. But if God's placed you here, there's a reason. You may be round peg square hole in it right now. But there's a purpose in God in you being in a place that you feel so dissatisfied. And it is so you can develop your character in the small things so God can prepare you for promotion. But if you're never challenged and you never take the test, you never grow. So the experiences of my life have shown me God often puts me in a job, in a situation, doing things I don't like with people I don't really care for. And he's called me to love them and give it my best. Because I know what I do in the little I'll do in the big. You may not like Joshua and the way he leads praise and worship, but I do. 
and God does. And you know what? If you don't pray for him, America today is eaten up with I, me, my, mine, criticism, gossip. And if you want to grow in God, you got to be willing to lay your selfish personal desires aside and do what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not mine. Not my will. It's what you want. And if you want me here, even if I don't like it, I smile. I smile because I'm in the will of God. The best place in the world to be is in His will, doing what He called you to do. You want to grow in God? you got to be willing to pay the price of faithfulness. And the price of faithfulness is doing it in the good and bad. Doing it when it seems fun and when it's drudging and hard and difficult and straining. When you do it, the glory of God will come on you and God will enable you. Is that good? Not everybody's called to ministry, but you know what? God has a call on your life to reach your world for Jesus. It may be through your business. It may be through where you work. It may be through other things. It may be through your family and just doing things with extracurricular things with other people's kids and people see your life. But see, God's got a plan for your life and he's got a ministry for you. The only way you ever fulfill it is being faithful in the small things. Did you get that? Yeah. That's a lot to think about the first Sunday in June. I know. Because we're going to party and play all summer. I get it. But you know what? Number one thing God's looking for in me and you is being faithful. And being faithful in the small. If you can't be faithful over that which is another's, how can God entrust me with what he's called me? Stand up on your feet. Did you get something out of that?